And now, detailing success in PNS Double Black present the Rennie Doyle Podcast, a podcast for blue-collar entrepreneurs. Hosted by the detailer of Air Force One and founder of both Detailing Success and the Detail Mafia, Rennie Doyle. Okay, here we go. So, hey, Rennie Doyle Podcast, live SEMA 2022. Today we got a panelist. First off, I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, it's been a, we were uh, gone since 2019. We're back, a lot of us. Pretty amazing, but today we got a panel, so I'm going to let them in, introduce themselves here in a second. But it's called the, the future of paint correction. Where's it heading? But we're also going to look back a little ways because I've got some really not so old guys here, but there's a couple of us that have been around. There's three of us that have been around for uh, wagon wheel days, you know. Yeah, no jokes about me polishing the arc. Okay? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The arc. Noah and I were really tight. That's exactly <laughs> it. So hey. We got, uh, again, here, welcome to PNS booth. We'll start to my left, your right, and we'll have each one of you introduce yourself. Craft with Greer's Garage. Glad to be here. Uh, Justin Lobato with Buff and Shine Manufacturing and Auto Geek. Jason Rose with Rupus USA. Chris Metcalf with Flex Power Tools. There you go. Welcome, gentlemen. So we're really excited about this. So our goal and intent is to educate on this is to bring some light. But with that, the first question out of the out of the uh, out of the basket, so to say, is gonna be one that might be kind of controversial. So let's react to this one. One of the greatest challenges that we've got within modern day paint correction is the fact that my my great friend Jason Rose mentioned this about five years ago. And it's ringing true right now is that OEM paint, factory paint, is thinner than we've ever seen it. Measurements on a brand new car, my, my wife just got a brand new car. Uh, she had a brand new car a year ago, and so let's go at both spectrums. A year ago, we were measuring paint on a brand new 911S that was in the twos and threes mills. A brand new Mazda is also in the twos and threes. With that being said, I think we need to handle paint correction much in the way that we do a medical profession. Is yeah, do, right. do no harm. So with that, is that do you feel that there's still room for rules on factory paint today. And so we'll start this time. We'll go to Chris, and we'll go right down the line. You know, things that, and we've been at a lot of trainings together and, and seen a lot of different things, but I think the biggest thing is getting your car to uh, a position where you're able to maintain it. So a lot of, a lot of times you, people buy a used car, things like that, and they have a lot of correction that they have to do up front. It's not something that you're always going to need uh, to level that paint every time you go to polish your car, a lot of maintaining it, you know, putting a, a wax on or a quick one step on it uh, a couple times a year, not not something you have to do all the time. But your question though was rotary. I mean, do you need rotary today? I think with the technology that we have in the market today, uh, I'm not sure if rotary is necessary for everybody. I would say a lot of guys that I have seen are really good with rotary, um, and it's it is not as forgiving as some of the tools that are on the market today. So. I hope, did that answer it? Yeah, I think it's close enough. I mean, that's that's your answer, yeah. right? I mean, that's who who he is. And so there is no right or wrong. This is opinions. Yeah, exactly. You know, today going into it. So Jason Rose. Yeah, I don't think it's um, a, a matter of whether we need rotary or not. It's it's the person behind the yeah. tool. So I think with any tool, any design uh, movement of a tool, it it's all about how that person uses it. And I think, and generally speaking, all of us in the detailing community, we need to stop thinking about taking the cannon out and blowing it away. 
and just mowing down paint. And we need to be thinking more of incremental defect removal and, and target customer pleasing results while leaving the most amount of paint on the car possible. Great, great answer. That's what's needed. Great answer. So now, I mean, you're, you, you've got a unique position on this panel because not only are you a rep for companies, but you still have an active shop going. So your perspective on this is going to be interesting. And by the way, none of these panelists have heard these questions, have you? You don't know them. They're blind. So love to hear your answer to that. I would say that I firmly believe to improve, not remove. You know, that's something that we play a big role as a operating shop for customers coming in due to the lower levels of paint being thinner. It's one of those things that is, there's a place for every tool. There's a lot of options for tools out in the market. Not everybody has the same skill set to Jason's point. So, you know, those type of jobs, when you measure the paint and do your due diligence, you're not trying to go into the job with a machete when you need to go in with a scalpel. And that's, that's one of those scenarios where you everything is individual, like a thumbprint. But that's what makes the professional different from the guy that is just getting into the, to the profession himself, where there's that learning curve. So the right tool in the right hand, yes, but also is it the right tool for the job? You know, and that's where, you know, keeping, you know, we're into preservation, enhancement, protection. So in order to do that, you know, and I learned this doing the Bear Jackson shows where you're dealing with all these different paint types on the fly that you have to understand and manage what you're working with and be able to enhance and protect without compromising the paint system. That's great answers. And so uh, you guys all said exactly what I was going to say, so I'm not going to say anything. No, all, all <laughs> I don't believe aside, that. You, you all have valid points, and I think it's true. It's, I think the tool that's being used on the job is predicated to the expectations the type of defect you're working on, is it the right tool for that particular job? I think the, the rotary polisher still has a place in the industry. You're kind of seeing a resurgence of it right now, from what I can tell. And so I think the right tool for the right job and preserving that paint over a long period of time is the most important thing. So I'm going to give some input because I've thought about this, obviously, quite a bit. And then I want, I want you guys to come back on this. One of the things we do in both trainings and, and, and on our own, kind of when we go from a training center to a laboratory, is we start doing real basic corrections. And we'll do a basic correction, one step or multi-steps, with a rotary, with a forced action, and with a DA. And what we're seeing is using very solid techniques is that the rotary is removing more healthy clear coat at a higher level than any of those other tools. So go ahead and we'll start right back here again and get a response from each one of you with that kind of in mind. Oh, I agree. Rotary to mow down that defect or that imperfection well beyond its its necessary means leaving enough material on there to preserve that paint you know the clear coats now that are, we're talking about getting thinner that's true so the total film build is getting thinner because you're getting a higher solids clear so that higher solids clear is becoming harder denser so these guys that are and, and the ladies that are challenged with taking out these defects and scratches you're thinking oh i've got to open up the floodgates and throw everything at it to get these deeper scratches out so that you're pulling off all this excess material and you're leaving very thin clear coat left behind Justin, response to that? I, some of these to me is loaded questions, right? So I'm trying to figure out how to how to articulate That's this. What it's meant to do is put um, us all in a place, you know. You know, with with the like, to Rod's point, that the rotary has its place, and you know, it, the whole point of the preservation. If you're gonna get, you gotta lead by education, right? So if you're gonna have thin clear coat, you need to measure that. You need to understand what you're working with. You need to be. 
either trained or shown how to use a paint gauge so that way you could show that to your customer right that creates you know an experience for the customer that they may not get with the next guy so you're already leading by education with that customer and you're you're impressing them but you're also now showing them oh we can't do this level of work on your vehicle because it only has so much material there's only so much meat on the bone now if you're dealing with clear coat that's thick and hardy then yeah, and you got to mow it down, then go to it. You know, that's going to be the quickest approach is the rotary. But at the end of the day, if it's super thin, then you just need to break out your, you know, standard or long throw DA, get it polished up and step away, protect it. And that's that. I like it. I'm going to disagree a little bit if I can. I knew this was coming. I like it. I like it. Let's go. So again, I'll go back to my point that it isn't the tool. It's the, it's the, the user, the guy behind the tool, but Reality is with technique adjustments, I can take a random orbital polisher and I can mow down and remove a lot of paint material really fast. I know how to do that. A lot of people know how to do that. I can take a gear-driven orbital. I can mow down paint and remove a lot of paint. You can take a rotary and actually be very gentle and not remove a lot of paint. It's all about technique adjustments. Pad product technique. There you go. Yeah. Right. But I'm going I'm to highlight this a little bit. It also took how many decades to get that finesse and we've got a I hate to say it we've got a whole generation of of technicians that I don't know if they've got time or if they want the time to 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 romance that let's go to Chris and then we'll come back no I, I you know I heard all of these different responses and we all have our own opinions and things but one of the biggest things that I think we all talk about during our trainings is doing that test spot and I think every project requires something a little bit different and you can't just have a rotary polisher. You can't just have a long throw polisher. You can't just have a gear driven polisher. You have to have a, a variety of products, uh, a variety of machines, and you have to do that test spot. You have to understand why, why would we go to the most aggressive product, the most aggressive machine, uh, uh, you know, for every single car? right off the bat. Yeah, I think that's what we. I, that was what I got from what every response everybody said. I like that. Okay, so Justin, I was just going to touch on the fact that you know when we look at this as individuals doing the work and executing the craft that's one way to spin it and everybody has a valid point but when you're working with employees and you're running an operation what and I you have to, to be efficient and effective and there still produce a high level in result that's where when you put these tools and products in their hands that becomes a whole nother game changer on your perspective now individually can i in my shop can you yes we all can and, and the majority of that uh, that high level of craftsmanship can but when you start to hand this this responsibility over to into other individuals that don't have the same, you know, your hundred percent is not my hundred percent as an employee versus an owner. That's where things change. And that's where the variables come into play to where you have to back off in a different way to, you know, all these points are valid, but when you're dealing with multiple people, it's different. Well, I'll tell you, that's a great response right there. Okay. No, I, I think there's also other factors involved. There's what type of shop is it? Is it a production environment? Is it a shop that's doing high-end detailing where they're going to take the time to really look at that finish and really decide what direction to go in? So those are factors you have to take into consideration. I like the fact, Jason, you brought it up. Hey, man, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I kind of knew with that question, that's where I was hoping, you know, I'd go there. I was like, go there, go there. And Jason goes there, right? And so, uh, but watching you, you know, I've watched you through the years in different environments. You've got that finesse, you know, you've got that touch, but so many people, it's almost like taking in and using an English wheel to, to mold metal, you know, not too many people. It's a lost art. It's a lost art, right? And, and 
And I'm not sure if we need to go back and romance that because you've got a, a, a big thing in business called profitability. And then you've got, okay, duplication. Do you want to work? Are you on your, are you working in your business every day or do you want to take and slowly work yourself to where you can work on your business and allow other people to, to become the technician to Justin's point. So I think a lot of good, is the tool still valuable? Listen on secondary paints, on boats, on gel coats, everything else. There's no question the value of a rotary, no question. But on, on these thin, on these really thin OEM paint systems now, it does work that people are looking at perfection at all cost. So great, any other add-ons that we yeah, have? Yeah, one, one additional just to tag on to what you said there. So when you think of skill and knowledge and the abilities of a, of a technician, if you throw a random orbital in their hand and they make some mistakes, it may not be as damaging on the paint. But you throw a rotary in somebody's Ooh, hand and, good point. and they do some damage, that's more damage. Good so, point, yeah. good point. All right, so next question, mindset of maximum shine at all cost is that we've got a lot of, we see the forums filled with it, we see it on Facebook, is that people are going and no matter no matter how much clear coat is going on, is, is they're going to get that perfection on that. So we'll start with the with the young stud. I have two categories for that. You're driven and there's purist. Purists are the ones that feel that they have to deliver 100% every time, regardless of what they get, get paid. Ego-driven stains in the same category, except they're pounding on, on their chest like Tarzan. God, that's us go to the middle again. Yeah, I think the everyone in the detailing community needs to ask themselves the question of what standard are you building to? What are you? What are you? What are you trying to polish for the customer or for yourself? I mean, it's it, you really go. need to think about why am I going to the standard? What is the standard? And then is it customer pleasing? Because the big question is customer pleasing results is very different from detailer pleasing results. And we all have this disease. We want to make paint. I, I have to admit, when I have a polisher in my hands and I'm on the paint in that moment, I'm trying for perfection. And I think that is very widespread lots of detailers try that it is and, and and no to the to the younger people or newer people in our industry is you know what a lot of us except for this young man is our our livelihood doesn't depend on our addiction to shine when you're running a shop is that your livelihood is that if it is it is it is it duly beneficial for the customer and you meaning that is your customer getting the shine they expect and allowing you to make the profits you need. So there's a big difference. Uh, you know what, let me start over again. My name's Rod Kraft, I have OCD. So most <laughs> detailers start out in the industry because they have this problem. And I, to me, it's normal. I, don't, I think everybody else that doesn't have OCD has got the problem. But it comes down to the point that we're trying to make these cars look perfect, but in reality, it does come down to reality versus expectations. So when we can figure out Great. which direction to go, Great. That's what's important. So I'm dyslexic. So what do they call OCD if you're dyslexic? You're all screwed up. I mean, yeah, it's 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 messy. Chris, we'll get that and we'll come back. Yeah, I, I mean, I just have you know, uh, yes, is really. I mean, do what you're getting paid for. I think we talk about this all the time. It's like we see these guys, you know, or people posting stuff online. They spent hours and hours, and then they never talk about what they got paid for. Did they get paid for doing 20 hours worth of work on the car, or did they get paid for? A couple hours of work. Hey, that's so. a great. So when COVID, when we had the lockdown, the last time that we all saw each other in 2019, shortly after the show, 
you know, our whole world experienced something new, right? And I had a really well-known detailer reach out to me about 10 days into the lockdown. This person is world famous. And person explained to me that, hey, I'm going to have to break the law because if I'm shut down for another 10 days, I'm out of business. My response was, how dare you that you've told the world how successful you are, but yet you don't have enough money to even make it a couple weeks. Um, and so that's a person that's been selling that that perfection. And to Chris, to your point, they didn't make any money at it. No. Well, now all of a sudden that same person, I won't name them. I'm very proud of them because you've seen them transition. You've seen them grow. And they, it was it was a learning lesson that, you know, going out and spreading fibs and not having anything to back for it. This person's one of the most successful detailers in the eyes of social media there is, but yet had, and I'm not against, I had, we all had humble starts. I lived in a mobile home for several years because I was getting my start. This person's on the upper end of middle age. This person was behind on apartment payments. This person was behind on lease payments. So it was cool to see that person transition into being an entrepreneur and realizing that their, 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 their health their financial health was dependent on it. They couldn't, they couldn't no longer go out there and preach perfection at all costs that they had to get with it and realize it. Any other responses to that, to, to, to that question? I would say a lot of it too comes down to a lack of communication and managing expectations with your customers. A lot of like detailers it. that get into this and I'm not, how would I say this? I'm not discrediting. What I'm saying is that a lot of them come in and they're introverts, so they don't know how to communicate properly and they don't know how to get the message across to manage expectations. So when it comes to the end result, that's Good what's point. being paid for. You know, it's it's just no different than a mechanic that has a master at their trade. If they're really good at what they do and they're bringing you in for an oil change, but they see your brake pads are shot, they're not just going to go changing your brake pads for the hell of it and not charging you. Oh, that's and great. And that, so it's having it in go. your arsenal to be able to execute is one thing. And being able to give it that little bit of an edge to go a little bit above beyond, that's it's like the superpower of your limitations of what you can and cannot do. But you have to know when to stop that. And that's where the business side of it comes into play versus the ego side or anything else driven that is OCD. So yeah, that's great having a there's it's great having an, an industry expert up here that owns a shop still. Because that's that's a message that needs to whoa. That's a message that needs to be spread. All right, any other responses to that, gents? With that, let's move on. Now, this is, you know, our, our as we produce this, at the data filming, our economy is changing greatly. Matter of fact, I've, I've had conversations the last two weeks. Uh, a good mentor of mine's got a wonderful uh, relationship with Warren Buffett. Uh, they're great friends. And he's, for the first time, sound some alarm bells that it's major changes coming. With that being said, coatings has changed our industry. I say this, and I don't mean this to, to, to rattle any cages than anybody, but really, a decade ago, a company came on the scene. Is We'd had legendary companies flex Grios around for a while, but this new company came in, Rupes, that really put a marketing side to the detailing industry that we hadn't seen in a long time. And then all of a sudden, along with that, coatings developed. And that really, it changed everything. It really has. Even for among competition, we've all, it's, it's impacted us all in a very positive way. With that, is that there's a lot of markets to where selling a six or $700 correction and coding is just not viable. What are, as professionals, what's your feeling about taking a car that's, that has not been corrected and putting a coating on it, whether it's a brand new car or something that's been driven for a while? 
And so, Chris, we'll start down on your side this time. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know people go on eBay or Amazon and buy from a third party, and they're just buying a coating that they really have no clue what they're even putting on their car, what they're putting on the car. So um, I, I would tell you know anybody that's thinking about doing a coating, I mean, you have to do correction first. You can't just... You can't just put a coating right over top of it. Um, I think that's really what it comes down to is making sure that you get the paint to a, uh, a position where it is almost perfect or, or you know, we'll accept that coating because you don't want to do that because it's going to, it's just going to give you a, what a coating does is it highlights those imperfections. And some people don't know that until it, they do it. And then they're like, wow, I didn't even see that scratch, you know, so. Rod, we'll go down to you on the end this time. I think it's about setting the customer up and trying to qualify them for the coating. Is the customer qualified to have a coating on that particular car? Is it a daily driver? Is it a show car? Good point. Do they understand what the value of a coating is? Are they explained to what that coating can do and how to maintain that car going forward? So, you know, we we, we think about a coating and, and is it something that's viable for me as a consumer? Can I go out and play with my car on the weekends? Can I can I wax it anymore? You know, I, I, those days of waxing my car with a coating on it are gone. I don't get to go out there and polish out on it anymore. So I, I think a coating is not for every customer. That's about the only way I can kind of sum that up. I like that. Justin? Um, uh -oh. now, now you're too low. I got you. So I, it's a different perspective for me because at, at the end of the day, the most relevant way of protecting a vehicle, the last standing product, the most relevant chemistry are ceramic, right? So it's, yes, qualifying, but at the end of the day, there's so many different recipes and formulas to choose from. You know, we're selling on clean, shiny, and protected. We haven't lost that. That's been since the 70s, 80s, and on up. It was just wax. The only thing that has gotten in the way is our own selves as detailers in the industry because we have so many options now versus then. We didn't have as many options. So, yes, qualifying the customer, but still setting them up for relevant chemistry because there's, you know, ceramic from spray-on, to the waxes, so the guy that does enjoy the therapy of being in his garage on a Sunday, waxing his vehicle, there's that. So still selling on relevant chemistry is necessary, but qualifying them, yes. But we're still selling clean, shiny, protected. I like it. So you're saying, yeah, go ahead and coat it in some instances? I would say at the end of the day, one of the biggest things that a lot of people slip on is you have your wash, your decon. What a lot of people don't realize is that you don't have to polish to correct. You could polish for that last step of abrasion to literally get that paint surgically clean so you got integrity of bond for the coating. So it doesn't have to be for correction. It could be a zipper around done in no time at all with a good polish that doesn't have any. So you don't compromise the bond. Yep. I like it. All right. I'm saying absolutely code for uncorrected paint i Ditto. mean 100 percent because I'm gonna agree it's about you. it's about the customer and what do they want and one of the major fits of of a surrounding and uh, and that durable protection is the ease of cleaning the car after that and sometimes that's all the customer wants they want clean and shiny and they want that car to wash up easy they don't care about every little scratch being removed. want to clean the car easier and better long term so i say Code over it. Send it. Yep. Send it. So I'm going to give you an interesting perspective. The, the the perfectionist in me, the craftsman, says correct everything. With that being said, as I bought a new Ram truck last year, built it into an overland vehicle, um, instantly I'm slammed. I have no time. I bring it in. I decon it. I wash it. I decon it. And I coated it. No correction. If from five feet back, it looks perfect. My wife, just in the last... Two in the last month got another new. She got a new vehicle. 
Uh, we did the exact same thing. I'm busy. There's no way I have time to correct it. We de we washed it, we deconned it, and we coated it, and it looks amazing. Is we've got people in our group that are now doing wash clays protects, and they're doing 125 to 175 an hour, and it's it's customers want a shine shiny protected car. The ones in certain markets, if they want if they want near perfection, we can get that in a single step. If they want maximum potential, we can get that in a two step. A lot of times we can get that in a one step now because of the advancements in tools and advancements in products and the advancements of education. And I think that comes down to setting expectations. Bingo. Simple. Totally. My expectation was I just want to get the experience of having an easier to clean truck. Yeah. I went through and airbrushed the whole suspension and everything with coating and left it. It dulled it down a little bit, but now you can't tell a difference. And that thing, just the mud just washes off of it. Yeah. And, and so it was the experience I wanted. Anything to add to that? I, you know, oh, the one thing I wanted to add was talking about coatings. And I talked when I started, to, I've heard people buy stuff on eBay. I think buying from a reputable company, uh, from a brand that's trusted, a brand that's done the testing and proven the product. I think that's important. I think that's something we missed in all of our responses. Because uh, we're talking about coatings, but Good we can point. go on eBay and we can buy a no a no name brand that really is not going to warranty their product. They're not going to back the product. And That's a great point. That's a great point. We had a, we had a situation with a, a, a detailer in Southern California that the gentleman uh, just bought a brand new Range Rover, top of the line, and told the guy that he wasn't going to be ripped off the coating. That all you had to do is the detailers to go down and buy a floor coating from Home Depot and put it on his car. Well, they did, and needless to say, um, didn't work out too good. So they called me to be an expert witness in a, in a lawsuit against the detailer. And I said, why am I going to do that when you hosed over the detailer? You told them to do this. You're the, you, you've got to pay for stupidity, not them. And so it's something like that. All right. Great questions, guys. So let's move on to pad technology with so many modern paint systems being sensitive, finicky. We've got GM paint now, all these different Subaru paints, Porsche paints are real sensitive. They're all over the place, right? We can't keep track of it. Simply having one or two pad options is gone. The days of just one or two pads is no longer there. Is we've got modern times, we've got wool, microfiber, foam, open cell, closed cell. So let's just go, we're gonna go start in the middle and Jason, we'll start with you this time. Let's talk about where you think, where pad technology's been, where it is and where it's going. Yeah, so the trend as you already mentioned is that pad, pads are getting more specialized. Um, they are being more uh, accurate towards a certain tool movement, right? We have rotary pads now, dedicated DA pads, and then specific to certain paints, clear coat, single stage, hard, soft, all that. So I think, you know, the trend over the last few years, uh, decades maybe, is that pads are being more specialized, and I think that's going to keep heading that way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And as paint gets thinner and thinner on OEM paint, the importance of pads is going to get even more important. You know, it's going to become more, more, it's going to become more uh, an arsenal in your, in your, in your uh, uh, total makeup of tools and, and, and available products. Chris? Yeah, I, I just wanted to just jump in there and go ahead and give my uh, spiel here. But, you know, the bottom line, these pads, they are going to keep advancing. I mean, the pad manufacturers, they're here. They're listening to all the detailers when they walk up to the booth. You know, Buff and Shine just launched a, a new pad that, that fits uh, your your polisher and our polisher very well. It has an interesting way of lining the pad up. Um, you know, so those those little things, and it's not, so you cannot just have one pad yeah. 
in your shop. You have to have a variety of pads uh, to be able to to get the job done. Absolutely, raw down. You know. uh, it's, it's true. It's just having a different type of tool in your toolbox. I want to be able to open that drawer and have a different tool that I can pull out that's going to get the specific job done. You know, it's no secret if, if everybody knows Jason Rose and how long you've known him. He and I go way back to McGuire's days. Back in those days, it was all rotary based. I remember the first quarter cable that we tried to market back then. So it was a woolen foam pad. Those were your two options. That was it. And how thick were those foam pads? Pretty thick, eight inch. I mean, three inches in thickness, maybe two inches. So imagine working on a car today with those pads as your option. That's craziness. So I don't know what that revive is. But. All right. So here you go. That was a 12 volt area. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Some, we got some bass kicking in. Yeah. Um, you know, I think with pad technology, what we have right now is, you know, we, we were facing an issue where the polishers started coming out, the long throw machines. Right. So as as pad manufacturers, we had to play catch up with the machines and how they function. And then it went from now there's the paint types. But there's so many manufacturers in the game that make really good pads and the technology of the foam the fibers and everything else that is in those categories now we're just finding the fit to the machines and the paint systems and it's just a matter of there's so many options that we could dial that in as kind of a recipe uh, or a, a solution to the problem that's in front of us can i can Absolutely. i add one other oh, please, comment so please. as as a company that does sell pads that some of you guys do here the we wish it wasn't the case i honestly wish it was not the case i would love it that there was one pad that worked on every car it would be truly amazing but the reality it doesn't support that so more specialized pads for more specialized purposes is the reality i wish there was just one pad that worked on everything but that's not the case so now i'm going to kind of open up this a little bit because this is a reality that people in the trenches are facing especially with gm-based paint is that if Let's talk about pad maintenance and pad, and pad aging and pad rotation. We teach in our class when you come through is we've got four to six pads, all the same pad, and we're lining them through and we're rotating through to keep them cool, to keep them cleaner. To, because if you, if you don't take and maintain or if that pad's too aged out, it's going to affect the outcome of your work so greatly. I know a lot of detailers say, oh, that's just a grab from some of our pads. No, it's not. So would, would you guys like to respond to that a little bit? and on pad, proper pad maintenance and, and kind of where things are going? Yeah, so the reality, I think these guys would echo this, but the reality is once you start polishing by machine on a paint, the the performance of that pad diminishes in seconds and minutes of use. So you've got a product and a procedure that when you start and you keep working it, you get less and less performance over time. So the whole strategy there is to reset the pad, get it to peak performance, and the only way to do that is either swap or frequent pad cleaning. Yeah, I think it's important to explain why that performance drops, okay? Because a lot of detailers don't know why do I need to change pads out going around the car. And like you said, the moment you put that pad on the finish, you're getting spent compound residue. You're getting clear coat or paint residue loading up. Pad load, residue load. That's a term that we've used for years. And so as you're loading that pad up and you're trying to go around the car the entire time, it's slowing down the performance. And then what do we do? We take the pad off, we put it on the shelf. We think it's going to clean itself. It's not. Well, and let's face it, this the pad making contact to the paint, it's a it's a frictional process. We're we're applying friction. So what is the impact of that friction on the pad? Well, it it means internal temperature is increasing. 
you know, that friction is impacting that pad every second that you use it. So it's about managing friction, which is managing heat. And the way you do that is swap the pads or clean them. Yeah. It, that, that's one of the number one things whenever I go out to maybe an issue or, or whatever, where someone's having problems with, with something and I see, I just watch their normal process. And I think the biggest thing that I see is, uh, you know, they're not changing pads often enough. They're not cleaning the pads in between section pass, you know, in between sections. And, you know, it, that, that heat transfers to the machine, transfers to the glue on the backing plate, all of those things. So when we have delaminations on the backing plate, a lot of times we ask questions when we talk to those detailers. There's not a problem with our backing plate. We've had the exact same backing plate on our 3401 for 18 years. You know, and, and so once we've nailed that glue down and we know that it works, just like Buff and Shine pads or Lake Country pads or Griot's pads, you know, you guys have nailed that glue down and you know that it's perfect. And there's a variable that's caused that pad or backing plate to fail. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about it. Let's figure out what it is so you don't have the problem in the future. Well, as part of that is overheating, to your point, is that you keep a pad on there and just keep working it and working it and working it. Yeah, it, it, it just that second that you've got that 20 seconds when you're pulling the pad off and it interchanging it with a new one, it lets not only the pad, but the, the machine cool down enough and it's rapid cool down, believe it or not. So you're, it, you're, it, hold it, on, you're telling me that I can't just buy two pads, knock out a whole vehicle and still call myself <laughs> a paint correction specialist on social media? I'm telling you right now, you can't. Yeah. Just wanted to make that YouTube clear. certified though. Well, if you're with Buff and Shine, you get an endless supply of pads, so you don't have to worry about it. I, hey, so I know the pad father. Every, every, every single, everybody on this panel is plus Lake Country. We use everybody's pads in training. And when, when I open up my pad, uh, my, my cabinet of pads, it's, it's like you open up the Holy Grail. The detailers just go, wow, because there's, there's shelves lined with each major manufacturer, right? But here's the thing. What you don't know is that all the manufacturers have come to us and said, hey, are you still using our pads? And we say, yeah, we're just getting us out of it because we're properly cleaning them and we're properly doing pad rotation through. And so the pads are lasting a lot longer. So, yes, your pad cost is going to be more expensive, but, yes, they're going to last you longer. And so using more pads on a car, it's just beneficial in so many ways. And, and part of the, the, the side note of that is it's going to cost you less in the long run. Yeah, it's, absolutely, it's been validated that it will cost you less. So, yeah, you have an upfront cost, but if you – properly take care of those pads they will all the whole group of pads will last longer absolutely yeah pad pad cycling is a legit thing like it's it's a way to save money up front yeah you have the cost but long term you save money and you know the pads do become seasoned and you do get the use out of them absolutely. but you get time out of them that you're supposed to get and you get their potential and that way you actually enjoy the brand and that and and i gotta say this too it's it's for the low end and the high end if you're cycling them you'll see less premature failure but the problem is a lot of people don't want to put that upfront cost up front absolutely and and that's where they need to realize that's an investment just like their machine just like you know anything else they have in their shop or their mobile unit it's all an investment well the other thing to realize is that you know the result of polishing paint is four things the tool the compound the person and then the pad but of all those four things the one thing that makes the most contact to the paint is that pad so you of all of them you really need to take care of that absolutely so hey we're doing good so we're going to throw a bonus question in there okay and then we're going to take that bonus question is listen tool technology has just come so far i mean you know it's it's we're seeing you know it's it's the game changer you know flex 
came out with the 3401. That was a major development for me. Uh, next, Rupes comes out with theirs. Grios has your little three inch that I've been using. I think you're going to see my original one that's still going. That is probably cl closing in on 15, 20 years old. All these different th things, each one of your companies, Buff and Shine, you know, Buff and Shine went from a, a, when I was a, a younger detailer, they were an affordable resource in the industry. Now they've come to a, be a powerhouse of development. So each one of your companies have really made a huge impact, you know, and continue to make. So with that, what's next? What's coming out? Not to divulge any secrets. I know you guys have all got, I, I was able to see your guys' new handheld when I was over in Europe. And I looked at it and said, that thing looks kind of goofy. Then I put it in my hand. I was like, oh, this thing's badass, right? Each one of you are just, I'm so proud to have you each up here because you're playing such a huge role in making our lives better. And you're making, you're making detailers, you're making technicians wealthier. And so what's, what's, what, we'll just start over to my left and work our way right over. What's next? Can you share a little bit? Well, I can tell you right now that from when I had my detail business, and I don't even want to tell you what the time frame was with that, but it was a rotary buffer was all that was available. Maybe a porter cable, maybe some sort of a small DA type sander. That was about it. But a rotary was what I had to learn on. And so you look at the innovation of tools today. It's incredible to see whether it was a nano hybrid or the pixie, or if that's, you know, the technical term, you know, but the size of these tools if somebody told me years ago that I would be using a one-inch pad to polish an A-pillar on a car, I would say you're absolutely crazy. So we we just launched a couple of new things here at the show. I know Rupes did. I know everybody's kind of creating that new innovative next thing on the on the block. So it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen in another three to five years. Well, it is. And I know every time one of you guys develops something, then what's really cool is what a lot of people don't think about, the pad technology kicks in and then the product technology kicks in and it just keeps making our job easier faster and more profitable so justin as far as innovation goes i mean you know as a technician and a detailer and a shop operator it's one of those things that it's just cool being able to be on the forefront of doing this you know working with you know all of you guys you know that have such a history in this industry at a level that's can't be repeated at this point we've evolved so far you know so it's with that innovation as we create more new cool stuff it's just a matter of chasing what's going to be better and more and cooler than that last innovation and i think that's where like whether it's pads or tools or whatever it may be it's just keeping your ears to the ground one and two listening to the end users the detailers understanding what their problems are that we didn't see as we manufacture this to make it better to make it do better to make it to where you're more profitable to where it's amen. easier amen this whole panel up here is about you guys, is we work with you every day, whether you realize it or not. I know each one of these gentlemen and their companies personally and professionally, and I'm going to tell you, it's it's not about money. It is. Everything's about, it makes it. But you know what? It's so much deeper than that for all these professionals and all the companies is they really want you to be successful. And it's really cool because the commonality and the workability of each of these companies is blending down into detailers. They're starting to work together like no ever because these are fine examples of working together. So, Jason? Yeah, we're developing artificial intelligence. So you turn the tool on and it does the car and then we watch football. I like so. that. Hey, you know, Boeing is working. They already have mechanical. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's there. It's there. It's here. It's, it's there. Yeah. So that's, so are you saying that's coming? Well, okay, so that's good because when I'm working with that tool, it's got some intelligence because I have zero. <laughs> I have zero. Just saying. No, I think uh, the future is pretty bright. I think uh, there's lots of 
very great ideas being worked on. But I do want to point out the reality for innovation, and I'm sure other companies are facing this. But we're in a world right now where there are some big challenges that work against innovation, supply chain, and um, COVID impacts on you know companies and products and raw materials. I mean, we we have some great ideas our company is working on, but we're really challenged by some realities of the moment right now. So Weird world. Things that are beyond our control. Yeah, absolutely. So, who would have thought silicon would be so? I no, mean, and copper know? wires yeah. and, you know, I mean, a plastic piece. It's yeah. really challenging. And right shipping. Now. And I mean, shipping, and yeah. shipping. Fuel yeah. prices. I, I think one of the biggest things with Flex is that, you know, we, we have a roadmap. And our roadmap is full of a lot of new products. Uh, and this world is changing as far as how we drive our cars. We're switching a lot of cars to battery-powered cars. You know, our, our tools, uh, we're seeing a lot more battery-powered products that are, our company's innovating. Um, you know, I, I work for Flex, uh, take care of the brand of Flex, but uh, our bigger company, Shervon, and Shervon makes a lot of uh, batteries for a lot of different, uh, you know, products out in the market. And that technology that Shervon brings to Flex brings a premium, uh, a premium battery product. And what we're seeing a lot of times is our battery powered product is actually better than our corded product. It, it, it gives you more power. And I, I think it's just going to evolve. And I think you're just going to start to see that. I would tell you if you go with a battery powered product, you need to go with a, a brand name product. You cannot buy these battery. I just heard it in my booth a little bit ago. Someone bought a battery powered product off of eBay and it lasted three, four months before they saw the battery start to not last as long. And that's because the lithium that that company is using is not uh, is not meeting the standard of what our company uh, uh, looks at as a, as a premium brand battery product product. So at that point, you know, if you're in your 20s as a technician, probably in your career, if you stay in this as long as some of us have, is you're going to probably go to most of your work, if not all of it, is completed with a, a non-corded tool. So, uh, hey, so real quick before we adjourn out of here, is love to have each one of you share. How do people get a hold of you and follow you and all that? So, Chris? I, you know, you can definitely look up flexpowertools.com. I would encourage you to come booth. We're giving a, a free polisher away every single day at 4 o'clock. All you have to do is uh, scan the QR code and we'll give you a ticket. Uh, but I'm available on social media, Chris Metcalf. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, and feel free to re reach out. And I, I also encourage anybody that's watching this, if you do have questions, I am readily available like everybody up here. We we want to help you. We want to make sure that you get the answers you need and and uh, take care of you. And I want to do this real quick. This is appropriate. You guys will, you'll go, you'll fall in line right now. Hey, happy 100th birthday to Flex. That's yeah. an amazing, it, that's yeah. an it amazing is, fact. It is years, crazy, 100 years of innovation. Years. Congratulations. Um, and, yeah. I, you know, our CEO uh, of Flex is in our booth, and I'd encourage you to stop by and say hi to him uh, the next couple of days. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy. We still manufacture on our general factory floor, and I know you, you've you been to our factory, and you see from day one the factory floor, and just the, the years have gone on. Uh, and it, it's amazing that those people take pride over there and making the tools just like Rupes does in Italy. And um, it, it is amazing that a company like that is still 100 it, years. It is. Well, happy, happy birthday. So thank you, Jason. How do they get a hold of you? Follow you. Yeah, RupesUSA.com and then Rupus.com for Europe and Asia. Uh, I'm active in social media and 
um, getting less and less there on Facebook. Go. Yeah, but... <laughs> uh, me too. I'm with you. I, I feel a little, yeah. The drama so, on Facebook. So, hey, Jason, as, I, as, as we age, we've decided to start up. Uh, we've been taking pole dancing lessons. So if you want to yes, kind of follow us, you know, it's it's Rod. We're going to recruit you. You know, it's old. You did old. bring the pole, right? Yeah, we did. I don't so, see you know, just, just so you so. <laughs> I have a new brass, yeah. brass metal polish I want to try out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin. Uh, you can reach me through Buff and Shine, Auto Geek. Uh, you can reach me directly on social media. Um, and to plug away for Buff and Shine, we do have a $1,000 pad giveaway that we're doing. So all you got to do is go drop off your business card at our booth. And on Thursday at 1 o'clock, we're going to do a raffle for that. Come by the booth for more details. Outside of that, um, you know, I think we're a product of our own environment for what we do and what we represent. And I know you mentioned the money thing. Yes, we get paid to do this. I feel that the money is the what fills the void for time and compensations for time. But the legacy that we leave behind and help being innovative for these brands that work for, that's something that can't be replaced with money. And I think that's one of the biggest Amen. passions why Amen. we do it. Amen. Uh, griotsgarage.com. I am on Instagram more than Facebook. So Rodcraft Instagram. I'm not a big Facebook user, but I do this, yes, for the money, but it's more for the passion to pay it forward. There's a lot of things nobody taught me when I was learning in the beginning. So I do this because I want to drive the industry a little bit further along. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to take an end with this is that, you know, this year has been the first travel year. It's been a, it's been a busy year for a lot of us. We've been all over the world again. We've been all over the country. But, you know, each one brands that are up here right now, we worked with all the way back at the start of the year. We were our brands were all down in Florida with Auto Geek together. Yeah. And I want to tell you the brotherhood and sisterhood that was built. Where's Robin at? Is she around? So we've got Robin sweets around here somewhere. But, you know, she was just starting out with 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 Auto Geek. You were just starting out with Auto Geek. You did a great job. But I was so proud of all these brands coming together and sharing and pushing it forward. Rod, your point. It was magical, and it just really, that's what keeps me going in this industry. I love it, but every time that I get a little burned out, I turn to a friend, I hear something, uh, and it's just, it's been amazing. And so the opportunity to share with you guys is pretty cool. Likewise. Yeah. All right, so any closing remarks before we adjourn? We want to thank everybody that's online. Thanks for Chris for setting all this up. He's our technical guy behind the. We got all these people in-house. Uh, what a treat. Everybody that's at home, we wish you were here. Big air hugs. Uh, gents, thanks for coming in. Thanks for sharing your passion thank and your you. love. Yeah, thanks, thank Randy. And uh, we'll definitely see you next time. Make sure to go in and thank these guys for taking their time. It's a busy, busy schedule here. Uh, gents, thank you very much. Guys, take care. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rennie Doyle Podcast, brought to you by Detailing Success and PNS Double Black. Listen to new episodes weekly and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to share with your friends and colleagues.